tonight we're going to talk about we, we finished off the last time that we had was able to have it we talked about the the spirit and the soul and the body and tonight we're going to continue with that same thought and adding the spirit and the heart and the soul and the conscience and how they work together seamlessly to to sanctify us to so that we can be saved uh, all of those things and we'll, we'll get into that but first we're going to we're going to pray. Father, we thank you again for another time to be in your word, Lord. I thank you for each one who's gathered here. You see each one that's sick. You see those that are in the hospital. And you see those that are at home. Whatever reason that they may not be able to be here, we ask that you would be with them, that you would touch them in their body, in their mind, whether it be spiritual, physical, mental, whatever it might be. We know that you still have the power to save and the power to heal. And we ask tonight in Jesus' name that you would move on their behalf. Father, this word is your word, and it's not mine. It's not ours, God. You've entrusted it to us, and you've asked us to study, to show ourselves approved, workmen who can rightly divide your word. And tonight, that's all we ask, Lord, is that if I'm wrong, Lord, if there's something that's not right, God, that you would move in the midst of us, Father, that you would move on our behalf, that when we leave, we would actually know the truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> we're talking about the spirit, the heart, the soul, and the conscience. The spirit we already talked about. The heart, the soul we've already talked about, and the body we've talked about. But we're going to look at those those three pieces in Scripture and then see how the heart, because the heart is used so many times in Scripture, so many times in Scripture. So is the word conscience. And the word the world uses the word conscience, and we see it also in the Word of God. Paul uses it frequently in the New Testament. And I, I just myself, I looked into that. What part of my being is my consciousness? is my conscience tied to, and which part of my being is my heart tied to? Because they're different things. And the way we had left the last time that we talked about this topic was we said that we knew that there was a spirit and a soul and a body, but we agreed that we couldn't prove that the soul and the spirit were separate. You know, that somewhere along the way they, they, they're together. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So the first verse, if you would, we're going to look at is 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. And then we'll go to Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. And these, we've already went over this, but this is just setting the basis for the fact that we know from the Word of God that there, there are three. There is spirit, soul, and body. We can agree on that. So 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23 says, God, sanctify your whole spirit. That is the rational spirit, the power by which a human being feels, thinks, Wills decides it's the driving force within humanity. And we talked the, other, the, the last time that I was able to give a word that we are spirit. We're created in the image of God, and the image of God is spirit. You can't see it. So this spirit is what he's talking about right here. It's, it, it's what's been placed inside of us. And that's the only, way, the only way that we have the ability to think, to make decisions. Brother Scott said when, when I got finished, he said, you don't really realize it, but you just proved free will. In that message, you prove that God gave us a will, and we have a will because we can we can act, we can make decisions, we can think for ourselves. So we have will, we have a free will to make decisions when you wake up every morning, because and that's just why when you teach and you're preaching the Word of God and you do it all, the truth reveals itself from the Word. You don't have to even look inside of it and pull something out and try and make a point. The Word the Word teaches you itself. Then the soul. It says, <clears throat> excuse me, and the soul and the body be kept complete. So he wants your 
He wants you to be sanctified entirely. The entirety of who you are is spirit, soul, and body. Without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's, there's something important about your spirit, your soul, and your body all being sanctified, all being in the right place when the Lord comes. It's not just your soul, and it's not just your spirit, it's not just your body. It's all of those things. So your soul, that, that in which there is physical life, it, it makes you a living being. It's your life force. Because then body, the living fleshly body, the instrument of the soul, your body is the instrument of your soul. And that's the breath of God was breathed into you and you became a being. So once you receive breath and you received your soul from the breath of God, then you were animated because he, you know, he formed him from the ground and he it's kind of, it reminds me of Ezekiel. What do we know about Ezekiel? The Valley of Dry Bones, right? And he's, he's watching, he's watching them be put back together. The bones come together. The sinews come together. The flesh comes together. Everything's there, but what's missing? The life is missing. And it's the same way it was whenever Adam was created, when he was formed from the ground. He was there. He was 100% what he would be. But there was zero life in him until the Lord himself breathed life into him. And here's the thing. From that moment, life has been life, and it's been from God every breath we breathe. That's why we say Yahweh is the, the, the Jews, the Jewish tradition is Yahweh is breathing, inhaling, and exhaling. Because how did we receive life? Through the breath of God. And that's what we talked about in our men's class in the evening. If you don't go to those things, you really should. There's, it's a lot of things come from it. But here's the thing is, every time you breathe, whether you believe in God, whether you don't trust God, you praise God with every breath you breathe. Because the very breath you breathe is His name. That's amazing. To me it is. Because even those who don't know that they are, why does it say that everything glorifies God? Because you do. Every time you take a breath. Because that breath came from God. Whether you want to believe it or not. Hebrews 12, Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 talks about dividing the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow. Now he's comparing and contrasting two different things. Okay, he's, com he's comparing the soul and the spirit. So they're two separate things. In this instance, he's dividing these two things. The only way, listen, the only way to divide two things is if they're together, correct? There is an instance, and that instance is in salvation, that your soul and your spirit become one. Okay, But aside from that, every man, everyone that is born is born with what? You're born with a spirit, you're born with a soul, and you're born with a body. Because the spirit is what we were created in the image of God. The soul is what was breathed into us by God. And then the body that we were given was formed by God. All of it was by God, through God, for him. We're Colossians 1 and 15, 16, 17 again. So let's read it. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating, that is dividing, separating. And this is talking about, this is the only time that you'll find this. It's talking about the dividing line between soul and spirit where one passes into the other. So what can we say? They do come together. But there is a division, and we're going to see where that division comes. And I never saw that before, and it's a pretty scary thing. Because your soul and your spirit are one. They're united. They work together in tandem to do a job. But at the end, they're not. So he says, even penetrating as far as the division of the soul and the spirit, and then of the joints and the marrow, and it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
So now we have soul, spirit, joints and marrow, and we even have the heart thrown in there. So we're looking at different parts of our body, guys, different parts of this body that's been created. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him whom we must answer to. So the joints, the nerves, the membranes, the muscles, whereby the members or limbs are joined to one another. It's everything in your body that joins together to make your body function. What do we call the body of Christ? It's, it's the same, it's a symbolism, it's just like the church, the way the church works. It takes all the parts and all the members. But then when he moves down and he starts talking about the marrow, you, the marrow is what's inside of it. This is, we see the church, the, we, we consider ourselves the church here tonight. Each and every one of us is a part of the body. We've been given powers uh, from the Spirit of God through the gifts of God that we've got, and we operate in that Spirit, ho hopefully, yeah. right? But here's the reality of it is the marrow is what's in the innermost part of you. What's, what's on the innermost part of you? Because that's divided too. What you see right here on me is this. I'm the instrument of my soul. The Lord uses my body to do his will. But you can't see what's on the inside of me. And I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about spiritually. The marrow is, is akin to your spiritual well-being, what you truly are. Are you truly a child of God? Because guess what? I can't tell you that. Only the Spirit of God can do that. The dividing. In this, when it says, for the Word of God is living and active, you know what tells you if you're a child of God? Not that you've ever been baptized. Not that you've ever spoken in tongues. Not that you have a profession of faith. The thing that tells you that is the, is the Word of God because your life aligns with the Word of God. Now, if your life aligns with the Word of God, will you be baptized? Yes, you will because the Word of God says that. If you are truly saved, will you have a profession of faith? You should because the Word says I'm supposed to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that I have in Christ Jesus. That's my reality. But that's, that's something that you guys can't see. And we can judge one another. We can judge one another to damnation or we can judge one another as the Bible says. We're supposed to judge one another based on the things that we do. We're supposed to look at someone's intentions. It says here that the Word of God, it's looking at the intent of our heart. It wants to know. But this marrow, what's inside of you, this is, this is for you. Do you read the Word of God and allow the Word of God to divide the truth of what you see here from the spiritual reality that's in your life? Do you just say, hey, I've gone to church my whole life. I'm, this is stuff we've heard a million times. But you know that it, sometimes it's the million and first time that it really truly clicks for a person. There's a reason the gospel is preached and the gospel is the same every single time and that the, someone's heard it a hundred times. Some people hear it the first time and they get saved. Glory to God for that. Wouldn't that have been a lot easier? I mean, I'm, I'm just being honest with y'all. If the first time that the Lord moved on me and I, I know consciously that he did, man, if I would have given my life to him then, my life would be a lot better. How do I know that? Because I know that I messed it up for 33 years. But I know what he's done in this short, not even 10 years. It hasn't even been a decade. And look at my life now. Look at what I was. I would have lost my wife and my kids because I was a very terrible person. I was making very terrible choices. But that's not my reality now. This is looking inside of you. The marrow is what's deep down inside of you, your spiritual truth. Because if your truth doesn't align with the word of the living God, who is 
is living and active and, and his word is sharper than a two-edged sword, how in the world do you ever think you're going to stand up when you stand before him? You're not. It's, it's an impossibility. So then we move on to Genesis 1, 26 through 27. We're just going over things we already knew. We are created in his image, which is spirit. We already learned that. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the livestock, over all the earth and over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. Then he goes again to say, so God created man in his own image, the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. That's why we believe what we believe. I believe there's only two genders. There's male and female. There's only two sexes. There's male and female. There are instances where there are people who are born with both genitals. But here's the reality of that is that person's either going to have ovaries or they're going to have testes. And guess what? That's what God has them to be. We live in a, a world that is defiled. So everything that comes out is not always going to be right. But if I have ovaries, I am a woman because that is what's going to that's what's going to produce the way I look, the way that I move. The rest of it doesn't matter. And God gave us thankfully doctors and people with knowledge to know how to correct that. But we don't go about correcting someone's sex and gender when that's what they are. And that's the sad part. We talk about that it always it seems to always go back to that in our evening men's class because y'all you see that in the news over and over. Oregon, California, along the East Coast, where all, I mean the West Coast, where all that evil seems to come from to start. Now, if your child sees someone and they want to have a gender reassignment and you don't let them, you're endangering your child and the state can take your child from you and they can have that surgery. You can do nothing about it. That's a reality. That's really scary. That's the world we live in. That's why we have to teach and understand and know what the Word of God says so that Richard Paul, so that Mason, Connor, all of those, all these little kids know, hey, guess what? Don't worry about what they tell you at school. The reality is there's male and there's female, and that is it. Why? Well, why is that? Because Genesis 1.27 says that. It says that he created them male and female, and that's all you need to know. Because it's either true or it's not. When we go back to Hebrews, the Word of God, is it true? If it's true, then that's what we have to live our lives by. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then we go to Genesis 2 and 7. We see two things, which is really, really awesome. Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. That's our body. He formed us from the dust. But then it goes on, and this is what I hadn't seen before until I started studying again. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. Do we have a soul? Most certainly. Was that in a separate instance where we had spirit, small s, we're not filled with the Spirit of God, but we had the Spirit because we were created in Spirit like Christ. And now He's formed our body, and then He breathed into us. And now we have a soul. Your soul is, is, is your, the part of you that's alive. But the awesome part about your soul is your soul is the part of you that can be trans, transformed and regenerated. Your spirit is spirit. Spirit is eternal. But here's the other part. This is a question I wrestle with myself, and then I, I didn't realize it until I got into Revelation. If God breathed breath into mm -hmm. you, that, that soul is eternal too, isn't it? There's no way around it. Because God said that there's nothing that he created. Who's the only person who can destroy what God has created? God. God. 
So in the end, he created the heavens and the earth. And regardless of how many holes we punch in the earth to extract oil or how many times we blow it up or drop bombs on it or whatever we do, we can never destroy this earth. <clears throat> That's why we cannot destroy this earth because the word of God says we can't. Only he can destroy the things that he's made. Can we make life harder for ourselves on this here earth? Yes, and we have. But we can't destroy something. Even, even science tells us that the law of the conservation of matter, this is a law that science has. Matter cannot be destroyed or created. Do you hear what I just said? It can only be transformed from one thing. I can take a log and I can burn it. And then it's going to turn into ash and it's going to turn into smoke and it's going to, but I didn't destroy it. It's a chemical change and it just transferred itself into a different property. They can, and this is the thing, they can believe that because guess what? It is true. But the word of God says the same thing. But it's, to me, it seems harder. And we've said this often. It seems harder for me to believe that from nothing came everything than from intelligent design came everything. Because anybody, has anybody ever just seen anything appear? We could take all the parts of a watch and set them back there on the table, and a million years from now, those parts are just going to be sitting on that table. They're never going to assemble themselves. We could put them in a Ziploc bag and shake them around. They're never going to join together because it takes intelligent design to put things together just as our bodies were made and created. And God did that for a purpose. He created us as spirit because we're eternal, which is a scary thing for those who don't know him. Because that means you, you can your spirit can never be destroyed. And we'll see that in, in, in Ecclesiastes. Um, your body was, was created to be destroyed. Why? Because he formed it out of something that he already created. And he said, whatever I've created, I can destroy and then our soul was given to us so that we would have life. Our life is in our soul. And that soul is eternal because it's the breath of God. So that's the three parts that make us. So our spirit is the eternal essence and affords us the power of knowing, desiring, deciding, and acting. That's, that's how we are akin to God. That's how we're like Him. That's the image that we're in. That's why I say we have free will. I know that people don't like that. Some people do like that. But my free will and God's sovereignty, they run side by side. The Lord wills that I am a saved person. The Lord wills that I... But at the same time, I can, I can push that back. We all do it every day. Every day I make conscious decisions to stay out of God's will. I don't, and I don't always intentionally do it, but I do. But God's will prevails because whatever God starts, He finishes. And I have to believe that in myself because if I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Because the Word of God says if He begins something, He's going to finish it. I've never seen God start anything that He did not finish. In creation, in anything. So if He ever saved your soul, if He ever did anything, if He moved on you, you may be out of this thing for 10 years. I don't know how that works. I don't, but I have to believe that somewhere along the way, however he has to, he chastens you, he brings you back in line because you belong to him. I pray he does, because if not, the sin that I sin tomorrow is going to send me to hell. Because y'all, we're sinners. That's what the word of God says. If we say we're without sin, we make God a what? A liar. We're going to sin until the day we die. But thank God for, thank God for him. I don't, 
I don't willfully sin every day. I don't go about sinning. The Word of God says not to live in what kind of sin? Habitual. Habitual sin, I'm going to be honest with you, a person who is habitually sinning, that person's never met Jesus. You can't be saved and go about living the life that you used to live. That's a hard reality for me. For me it is personally. Because the soul that I have, the conscience I have, the things that I have are made to drive me towards the Lord or push me away. And that, that pushing away, that's the scary part. It's without remedy. There's no coming back from it. And we'll see that. I like the way the Bible puts it. It's for those who practice sin. Yeah. You know, there's no hope for them. Yeah. Well, why do you practice? Well, to get better at something. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm trying my best to practice holiness. I fail at it. That's what I'm trying to get better. Yeah. At. So that that shows the difference there. Yeah. My objective is not to sin against God. Yeah. My objective is to is to honestly, sincerely strive for holiness. The Word of God says, "Will we ever get there perfectly?" No, but thank God for the blood of Jesus, because that's the only thing that makes me holy. Even when He looks at my body, when He looks at me, if I don't have the blood applied, then so our soul can be regenerated or be made eternal. It's quickened to life. But it dies at the second death. What dies at the second death? I was reading it Revelation. I was looking because something dies there. The thing that dies there is the ability to ever be regenerated. Because your soul is with you when you die. Right? Your soul is with you when you die. Your spirit goes back to the Lord. Your soul is eternal. Then it says, so it, it dies at the second death, the opportunity to be created anew. There's never, there's no more chance, guys, for you to be created. There's no, no chance for regeneration. You can't be saved. That's an impossibility at that point. Second death is the death of your soul. There's, there's no more hope for you. So Revelation 21, Revelation, tw uh, I'm sorry, 2 and 11, we'll start there. This is to the churches. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Okay? Revelation 21 and 8. But for the cowardly, for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and sexually immoral persons and sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So, Question is this, when we're talking about spirit, every, every man that's born has spirit, soul, and body. That's a reality. But there's also two things that we see in the Bible a lot, guys, a lot, that we have to look at, and that's heart and conscience. Where do those two things fall in that? So I'm going to read from you, uh, to you from Ecclesiastes 12 and 7. It says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. We belong to the Lord. But what happens to the one who's, who's not saved? The spirit goes back to God when we die. That's what the word just told us. The body stays here. The spirit goes. We already have seen that the soul and the spirit are joined. They're connected because they're both eternal. They're both eternal. God gave you life and gave you breath. Who can destroy? What does the word of God say? Who should I be scared of? The one who can destroy what? Me here? Are the one who can take my my life, my eternal life. That's who I'm concerned about. I'm not concerned about about what what people think of me here. I don't want to be mean and I don't want to be ugly. I'm not trying to be a bully or force my 
That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if what God thinks is not more important than what you think, then I'm in trouble because I've aligned myself with man and not God. And that's a very scary place to find yourself. And there's, there's a lot of people that will because they believe in tradition and they believe in everything but what the Word of God says. Because it's very easy to create your own theology and to create your own God. Well, my God would never do that. Does the Word of God say that, that God did that? Well, then you're not worshiping the right God. Because if the Word of God says that God did that, and it also says He's the same today, yesterday, and forever, that means that you're serving either the God who did that or you're not serving God at all. Because Paul tells them whenever he's walking through and he, he sees all the idols and they have one that's to the unknown God. And he tells them, hey guys, listen, I'm going to tell you, I know who this God is. In this one instance, you're right. In this one instance, you're right. You don't know who this God is, but you worship him. Well, I'm going to tell you about him. But here's the problem that you have. There was a time when God winked at sin, but now he calls all men to repentance. So, you, so there's a dividing line right there. Now you have a choice. You have a choice to make now. Are you going to repent of your sin and follow the true and living God? And then he goes on to tell them all about God, right? Are you going to do that or not? And your theology, what you believe, has a lot to say about that. Why does a man think that he's saved and lives a life of practicing sin? Because his theology's wrong. He doesn't understand, he, he doesn't understand who God is. He definitely doesn't understand the purpose of the Son. Why did Jesus come here? He didn't say he just came here just to die for your sins. We're supposed to be made sanctified. We're supposed to be made holy. We're supposed to be changed from glory to glory. If you can't see that in your life, you don't, you're not filled with the Spirit of God because that's the Spirit's function. The Spirit has a role. Its mechanism is to what? Is to, we, we can go to, to John chapter 16. What does he do? He convinces me of sin and judgment and death. Like, that, that's his role. His role is to prove to me that I am a sinner and there is a such thing as sin, that there is a judgment coming. Y'all remember that verse 16 and 7, I think of John. That's what he does. Is that real in your life? Because then he's given you a heart and a conscience for you to have so that you can what? So that you can be changed. So that you can see. But here's the scary part. Is for every person who's ever been born, they all have had a heart what it considers a heart, and every one of them has a conscience too because Paul talks about that conscience. And that's the scary part. And that's what we, we have called common grace. Common grace is pain is common grace. The fact that we all feel pain, pain is actually a good thing, right? If I didn't have pain, I would already be dead because I couldn't feel that something was hurting. I would get sick or like my brother Gene, bless his heart, brother Gene is working on something and he bumps electricity. Well, the first time he don't feel it and it didn't, but the next time because he didn't know that that hurt and he hit it, it kills him. That's something that everybody has in this world. That's something that God's given everybody is the ability to feel pain. Is pain a good thing? No, but it's a good thing whenever it comes to not dying. Well, that's the same way with a conscience. Everybody has one. Everybody has one. But some of, some of them end up getting what? Seared. That's the, that's the sad part is, but everybody has one. <clears throat> Excuse me. So let's look at what Romans 2 and 14 through 15 says. We're going through Romans, so we read this a while back. 
For when Gentiles who do not have the law, that's the law of God that the Jews had, instinctively perform the requirements of the law, these, though not having the law, are a law to themselves. How is it possible that a man who's unsaved, like all of us were, we still have morals, don't we? There's still things you know not to, you know that incest is wrong. I mean, almost every culture understands that having a, an affair with your parent or with your sibling or with your grandchild, that's wrong. What, what do you base that on? Well, you, base, you have to base it on something. There's a moral code that's been placed in you. Okay, rape. A person, unless they're is just depraved and their consciences have been seared, that's wrong, correct? There's just things that we know inherently that they're wrong. How is that even possible? Because you have a conscience. Because what the world will say is, well, that's just something, it's just, it's just the way things are. You just know what to do and what not to do, and I don't do things that hurt other people. Why? You, you just have to keep asking the questions. Well, there is no end question. There's no, there's no question that satisfies that other than there is a law, and that law came from God. And that law has been written on what we see in your heart. It says, the center and seat of your spiritual life, the soul or mind, as it is the seat of thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, endeavors. The law is written upon your what? It's written upon your heart. And that's what Romans is saying right there because he goes on to say, he says, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience testifying and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. So just to break that down, the first thing we see is he says that they don't know why they do the things that they do. They're not really sure why they sin this sin, but they don't sin this sin. And they, at the same time, don't understand why whenever I do this, I feel guilty about it. Well, you feel guilty about it because you have a conscience. The only way that you can feel guilty about that is because what the Lord said is that he wrote, the law is written in your heart. It's in the seat of who you are. Whenever he, then that is part of spirit. Part of spirit is that being made in the image of God is, is what? I, I have the law written on me. That's just part of who I am. Now, whether I want to believe it or not, that's, that's solely, unfortunately, that's up to me. It really is up to me. Y'all, there's people who the Lord draws them and draws them, and they never come to saving faith. They reject him over and over and over. And we've heard this since I've been here, and it's still the truth. The truth is, what is the unforgivable sin? It's rejecting Jesus Christ because there's nothing else. There's absolutely nothing else. The Father sends the Spirit of God, and when you reject the Holy Spirit and you don't receive it, there's, there's nothing left. The atonement's been made. If you're never filled with the Spirit of God, you don't make it, which is a sad thing, but... Whenever it says that their, their conscience is either testifying and their thoughts alternately accusing or defending them, that's where we get in trouble because one of two things is going to happen. Either my conscience, I, go, I leave from here and I, I have an affair with another woman the first time that I do that, me. One of two things is going to happen. Either my conscience is going to what? It's going to accuse me and say, how could you, how could you do that? How could you find yourself in that place? Or I'm going to defend it somehow, and I'm going to say, well, my wife don't even like me anymore. She's so mean to me. She's mean to me every day. She deserves it. That's what they were doing, and they were doing that not saved. 
That's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about Gentiles. We go back for when the Gentiles do this. Not the saved people. He's talking about heathens. You know why? Because we all have. And that's, that's the scary part. It goes back to the thing is why does he say that when we stand before God we'll be without excuse? There's your proof. Even more proof, more than Romans chapter 1. Why? Because when I look out, everywhere I see it's God. But how about even further proof is the fact that God has written the law on your heart, which is tied to your spirit, which everybody's received. And also, you have a conscience that's tied to your soul. Whenever the Lord breathed life into you, you were also given a conscience. It was imparted with the soul. The soul as a distinguishing between what is morally good and bad. It is a mechanism given by God to react to his law. That's how that in, in the that is when I read that I, I stopped and I went back and I made sure that I was reading that right. This is the Strong's. I'm not defining this myself because I don't I'm not smart enough. But the Strong's going all the way back to the Greek, going back to the Hebrew, it says that the, the conscience is a mechanism given by God to react to his law. Well, there's no way if every man has a conscience, then every man has to have the law written on his heart. That's just a reality. Why is it when I stand before God I'll be without excuse? Because he, writ, he, wrote his, he wrote His law in my heart. He gave me a conscience that knows the difference between moral good and bad, and I choose not to, not to act on it over and over and over, which is a very scary thing. But, y'all, I did that for a long time. I did the very same thing. And here's the, here's the reality. Had I died in that state, I would have gone to hell. And I don't say that like, oh, that's an awesome thing. I, could, I can just honestly say that because he saved my soul. When I say that, I don't say that as a negative. I say that for myself as a positive thing. I could have gone to hell. I smile about that because guess what? The wrath of God is not for me anymore. I've been saved. I've been born again, filled with the Spirit of God. Now, now in the form that I am, my heart, the seat of my affections, where the law is, my conscience reflects on that. And every decision that I make is supposed to be what? Filtered through the Word of God. Is it? Of course not. But thank God for grace. Thank God that He understands me and He understands the mistakes that I make and He loves me and He makes a way. And then when the sin and the things come to me, He makes a way out of it where I don't have to practice it. That's the reality. This, the other day there was someone had asked a question. They said, well, I got into a, a conversation with someone talking about how they knew that they were saved. And what's sad is this person said there was one way to know that a man was saved, and that was it. And that was if they spoke in tongues. So we got into a conversation. And like he said, you can manifest anything. We can go all the way back to Moses, and we can see the sorcery there. Right? We can see they made frogs. They did things. Was it sleight of hand? I don't know. I can't tell you that. I can just tell you what the Word of God says. It said that they matched him. Two times, they matched him perfectly. I can also see where there were snakes, and they made snakes. He made snakes. We see all of these things, right? Some of those, that, that was real. That really happened. But his snakes ate all of their snakes. Do we believe that? So, so if we truly believe that, then do you see where the thought process is going with that? It's like, in the world, they don't understand those things because they're spiritually discerned. Here's the difference is our soul, what God breathed into us, that's what has been changed. We're no longer what we were. 
the Spirit of God was deposited into our body through justification and regeneration. The Spirit filled this body. And now we understand things differently than we did. Before the Word, it goes again. How, how, did, they, how did they understand things in the flesh? Because what are spiritual things? They're spiritually discerned. If you're not filled with the Spirit of God, no wonder this makes no sense to you. No wonder you, you're confused with it constantly or you don't understand it or it's either a stumbling block or it's foolishness. You know, to one it's a stumbling block, to the other it's foolishness. What is it to you? It's the power. It's the power of God to save. It, it's the power that has regenerated us. This changed us from what we are to what we are now, what we were. Think about what you were. And I say that in Sunday school all the time because people doubt their salvation because they make a mistake or because they sin to sin. Can you see a change? A man who is not regenerated has no need to change. Matter of fact, the average person who is not regenerate, they get worse over time, not better. Because they get complacent with what they do. And the Word of God says what happens to their conscience. It gets seared. It doesn't even matter anymore. Nothing matters. Proverbs 29 and 1 says that, that there comes a point in time, and that's the scary thing. That's why we pray for our loved ones and the ones who don't know. And we thank God that we never found ourselves there. He says there's coming, there, there comes a time where there's nothing else that he does. You've exhausted everything. He says, and you are broken, and that is without remedy. After many times, after many times that I've come to you, I've come to you, I've come to you, and I've tried. I've, I've, my spirit has come to you. I've spoke to you. I've gotten you out of this mess. I've got, how many people do you know that say they make those deals with the Lord? If you'll just get me out of this one, Lord. If you'll just get me past the next one, Lord. If you'll just heal this one. If you'll just save my son. If you'll, what happens after that? That's not real. Because what is the, the Lord? He says you don't, you don't make bargains with God. Your yes is a yes. Your no is a no. But we don't bargain with him. Which is really, it's, a, it's really sad. I mean, it is for a lot of people because they don't understand. The, the last one is Job 32 and 8. Speaking of the conscience, the conscience is tied to your soul. And in Job 28, it says this. It, it's the understanding of good and evil. So, but it is spirit that is in mankind. This is Job, and bless his heart, he, he had gone through the ringer. He says, but it is spirit that is in mankind. We've already proven that textually. That's the truth. And the breath of the Almighty gives them understanding. The breath of God, whenever your soul was created, you had the ability for the first time ever, which is really with your first breath, you have the ability to know who He is and to understand Him. But you can't. If you're, if you're never saved, if you're never regenerated, you can't. So then what happens at the very end? Your spirit, either way, the spirit, that which is is eternal, it still rests somewhere. And I think, in all honesty, of all the things that I heard my whole life, when I finally realized that, that's one of the scariest things. Because people don't tell you, they'll tell somebody you're going to go to hell, or you're, but they don't explain to them, they say, well, you're going to die and go. You never die. That's the thing that they don't get is because when you say, well, you die and go there, they say, well, I'm just going to be dead and I'll be in hell. No, you're alive. You're alive forever in that, and, and you're stuck there. And you're stuck there, and there's no remedy for what you did. Your soul cannot be saved. And now you're separated from the God who loved you, who gave you every bit of this. Every bit of this was given to give you the opportunity to accept His Son. 
That's the, and to me, that's the thing is when he orchestrated your creation from the beginning, spirit that's eternal so you could be with him forever, a body that was formed of the ground so that you could be an instrument for the soul that he breathed into you. And then you have to live for eternity knowing that despite all of that, you rejected him over and over and over. That's a very, and then the wrath, his wrath is what's poured on you, not Satan's, not the devil. It's the wrath of God. But that's why I love in 1 Thessalonians, it says that you and I, if you're truly saved tonight, we are not vessels fit for wrath. And that, thank the Lord, he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Now, does that mean you can go about practicing sin and doing what you do? No, I have a hard time believing that you've met the Jesus I have. Because my life has been changed forever. Forever. And to me, that's, a, that's just a, it's a scary thing because that's, that's religion. Religion is what we call the once saved, always saved ideology is I walked the aisle, I gave it to the Lord, but I'm going to live my life the way. No, that is an impossibility. The Lord never, he's not going to inhabit something that can't be changed. You can't have met him and not been a changed person. That's not true. That makes no sense. You're lying to yourself and your conscience is seared because you have, you have an alternate reality that you've created and you have your own God. And the God that you have, the, the God of the, of the Word, He's not going to accept all of that stuff. But the God that you have, He accepts whatever you do because he, His Son died for you and you love Him and He loves you and He would never send you to hell. I can... Man, there's so many of these in here that I can show you that's not true. Jesus spoke of hell more than he did heaven because he wanted people to know, hey, there's a real place, and that real place is hell. And there's a spirit that you were created in, and it will reside there for forever. And that, to me, that's not a mean thing. That's just that's telling someone the truth in love. But I've, but I've made a way for you. You don't have to go there. I've given you everything you need. And aside from these things, I filled you with my spirit. I made you a vessel for my spirit and I gave the spirit to guide you. And still yet, people reject and people don't care and people sin and people go about spreading a false gospel. We, we watched a video, it's a, another one, it was a woman. And it, there's so much false out there, it's really sad. And then there's boasting in it too and haughty spirits about people. And you, you guys know that. You've seen people and you know people. You go up to them and they really feel sorry for you because of your denomination or because of your belief. Because, well, bless your heart, you'll get it one day. No, no. The reality is what this word says. And the reality is, is that when I was saved, I was filled with the Spirit of God. And that's what resides in my body. Because if not, what would be in me? What's, what's the parable we see? is there's one and the demon is cast out. And if you don't fill that void with what? With the Spirit of God, he comes back with seven worse. Worse than it was in the beginning. That's what we need to pray against, especially for the people that we know and we love. Those who, I mean, we're praying, you're praying for people's salvation. I know you are, each and every one of you. This right here proves, and that's the scary thing for me. This is proof that when I stand before God in the end, I will be without excuse, if nothing else. Even the verses that tell me that, I can look at this and tell him that he prepared and made me and gave me everything to have the ability 
to come to know who he is and that when I stand before him, I will be without excuse. That's really what the, the world needs to know that he loves them. And the world needs to know that there's a way, but they need to understand if you're not in the way, the only other way is it's eternal hell for forever. And nobody wants that. Nobody wants that for anyone. So if you would bow your heads. Father, we thank you again for another time to be in your word. God, I, I pray in Jesus' name that if there's one in our families, Father, we all know those who don't know you. God, the pursuit of our life is to be to draw people to you, Father, is to be a light on a hill. Father, that we, we don't just speak the words, but, Father, we live it out before them so that they might see what that would be like. It makes them curious, God. They wonder, what is it about this individual that's different? And, Father, for those that are in our families that won't hear what we say, they won't even see by the, the way we live our life, God, I pray for those that you will send alongside them, Father, in their workplaces, God, in the places that they go, that, Lord, somehow, some way, Father, they will see who you are, and they will see your son, and they will accept him, Lord, and that they might be saved and filled with that same spirit. That's so on that day, Father, when you come back, we can all bow together, Lord, and we can worship you, and then we can worship you for eternity in heaven. Father, be with those who are sick and aren't able to be here. God, you see each one. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.